0: Okay, so today we're going to talk through Matthew 25, to 46 But before we do that, it's always good to establish where we're talking about, who we're talking about, who is this from, who's it to, what comes before it, what comes after it. We've covered a little bit of this with previous preaching on um, Matthew 24 and 25. But I thought I'd go over it again because not everyone was here. And it's always good to refresh. So it's almost 2,000 years ago. It's a Tuesday. It's the 12th day of the month of Nisan. Uh, It's Passover week. There's heaps of pilgrims in town. This is in Jerusalem. So everyone, Jews and Romans, are complaining about the queues at Pack and Save. There's a real buzz about town. Think of it a bit like Gisborne during that week of R&V. If you don't like it, you still know it's on. It's sort of that vibe. That's probably where the similarities between Passover and R&V finish. Um, Anyway. Jesus is in Jerusalem, so he's had the triumphal entry where people lay down the palm fronds and he comes in, Uh, this is the week before Easter, but no one knows it's the week before Easter yet, except maybe Jesus. So he hasn't had the Passover meal yet, where he talks about communion and where he's betrayed, that's in a few days time. He's spending the week giving some really crucial information to his disciples um, before his trial, crucifixion and resurrection. So, the scripture we're looking at today is at the end of chapter 25 in Matthew. It's part of a section of scripture that starts at the start of chapter 24. Um, So, it's not up there, but I'm just going to read the start of 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I'll read that again. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? So the rest of chapter 24 and chapter 25 answers those two questions. So think about that. They're walking along, they're like, oh, look, look, look at the temple. And Jesus is like, I tell you, that thing's going to get destroyed. And they're like, when? And he goes, right. <laughs> and then gives two chapters of like pretty heavy stuff. But I thought we'd, uh, is that map there? We'd um, just have a look. So this is the Temple Mount on the left. You can see this is Jerusalem. Google Maps. Uh, they would have gone through the Golden Gate if they going to the Mount of Olives, so they probably followed roughly that, that route. Uh, it's 550 meters, three minutes in a car. Um, and then the next shot is looking from there, looking back, and you can just see the temple wall in the, in the background with the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock wouldn't have been there, but the temple wall would have been in a similar position. It's been knocked down and put up a few times since then. So you imagine I like to imagine anyway, very little changed there. There's olives, it's still really dry, there's still a temple there. That's where this is happening. This is where Jesus and his disciples are sitting, roughly there, looking across at that temple. Before we read any more, I also want to have a bit of a think about who the disciples were. They're a really diverse bunch of Jewish men. Maybe not what we'd consider diversity by today, because they're still all Jewish men. Um But they're from very diverse backgrounds, called by Jesus to follow him. Now, it was a common practice then that a teacher would collect around them people devoted to them. Jesus went out and called these men individually. And they'd learn from the teacher and then become teachers themselves, spreading the teacher's message to others. These disciples gave up their jobs to follow Jesus. And we can learn a bit more about them from what it says, from what Jesus says to them in Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons Freely you have received, freely give. So, I've always thought of Jesus' disciples as, as his followers, but they're more like his missionaries. They're sent out really early on to go and spread his message. And they're sent to the towns of Israel, and then later to the Gentiles, to everybody. Right, we're getting close to the sheep and the goat story. Um, as I've said, this story is at the end of a section of Scripture that starts at the beginning of chapter 24. The rest of chapter 24... Describe some really terrible things for um, believers, which Carl covered a month or so ago. Jesus has just told some parables, the bags of gold, the talents, the ten virgins. Uh, Carl and Luke are going to cover these in the coming weeks, um, and some have already been covered. And then we get to the sheep and goats, which is sometimes called the parable of the sheep and the goats, although it's more just a description of what's to come than a parable. So Matthew twenty-five thirty-one to 46. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, we're going to work through this kind of pretty much verse by verse, starting with, Verse 31. So Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, now this is referring to a future judgment scene after the second coming of Jesus to earth. Remember, Jesus is coming back to earth and sitting on a throne as a king. So this is Jesus sitting on a hillside in first century Jerusalem, son of a carpenter, talking to his disciples. He's not royal, royal, he's not wealthy, and he's about to be killed the way a criminal was killed. And he's talking about coming back as a glorious king on a throne. It's the same coming back that Carl talked about a chapter earlier in Matthew 24, 30, which says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So, Jesus coming back to earth. Then in verse 32, it goes on to say, All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So this is about the judgment of the nations. Sorry, I'll just, I'll just say that. It says, All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people. About half the translations say he will separate them. He will separate the nations. So it's, it's, um, we have to ask, Who are the nations? Normally when Jesus mentions the nations, it's everyone other than the Jews. It's the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the tribes. Uh, and I, I personally wonder if all the nations could also include the Jews, um, but it definitely includes Gentile Christians. So it means we can take this passage personally if we follow Jesus, because we are Gentile Christians. And if you don't consider yourself a Christian, then this is for you too, because you're also part of the nations, unless you're Jewish. Um, Maybe. So, Jesus is saying he'll come back to judge the nations. And then there's, there's a whole lot of interesting thought on when this will happen. This is where we get into some territory I kind of wanted to avoid, uh, and I'm not that comfortable with because it, it causes endless, in my opinion, pointless debate and division. But we're going to go there briefly today. <laughs> so, end times are called eschatology. All right? The timing of that is called eschatological timing. There's six or seven different main versions of the order of things at the end times. And lots of people who believe their version believe it more than anything else. Um, But they can't all be right. Uh, So different forms of this come with different timing and sequence of the tribulation, the millennium, the rapture, and a few other things. There are many corners of the internet saying that one has to be right over another, and quite often they have way too much text on one page and too many different fonts, um, which just makes me suspicious. Um, and quite often bad graphics as well. That's not where, that's, that's not where you find truth. Uh, I'm not going to stand here today and thrash one view over another, but there's a few things that we do know, so we're going to stick to those. So Jesus came to earth, he died and rose again. We know that. After that started what is called the church age. That's what we're in now. That's us. Christians in the church age. Then there's a thing coming called the tribulation, which is touched on in Matthew 24, as I've mentioned, and it's going to be pretty rough for Christians. It'll probably involve some crazy world leader that's deeply evil and will cause mass death across the globe. I'm just going to gloss over that. Uh, After that, Jesus' second coming happens. Jesus comes back to earth. And then Jesus will judge the nations. That's what we're talking about today. That's where this bit fits in. Sometimes it's called the judgment of the nations. Then there'll be a thousand years of Jesus reigning on earth. And then later, every human who has ever died will be judged in what's called the great white throne judgment. And then there's the new heavens and the new earth mentioned in Revelation. Now, some of you are going, ah, oh, you've got it all wrong, mate. <laughs> but that's kind of a majority view. Uh, missing out some details, and yeah, I'm not too worried about the finer details of that. But the reason I mention that is because of that tribulation, right? So Jesus is saying there's going to be a tribulation, which is, means a state of great trouble or suffering. And in that, the Bible mentions Worldwide hardships, disasters, famine, war, pain and suffering which will wipe out most people on earth before the second coming takes place. So, yeah, the reason I mention all that is because that gives a a massive opportunity for Christians to be as oppressed as they probably ever have been. Okay, so then Jesus is saying the judgment of the nations is going to happen after that oppression. So he's talking about this time when all people on earth have had an opportunity to oppress Christians. They haven't necessarily taken that opportunity, but the opportunity has been there. And this is for Christians and non-Christians. That's the context for the rest of this passage. So it's, it's told in first century Jerusalem, but he's talking about a judgment after this period of tribulation. Now on to verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. An interesting thing here is that word inheritance. It's not a gift, it's an inheritance. And question, who gets an inheritance? Children, yeah, heirs. If we look at Romans eight seventeen, it says The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So heirs are those who get an inheritance. We get a share because we are God's children. So let's carry on to find out how we get that inheritance. How do we be become one of those sheep? All right, so we're going to get back into that scripture. It goes on to say, For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You'll notice here that the people who are called righteous are surprised. They're like, We never fed you, Jesus. We never clothed you. What are you talking about? And he says, but you did, right? What you did for those people was actually for me. So remember this, as I said, this is at the end of a massive period of oppression for Christians. And it seems that where there's oppression of Christians, there's also an opportunity for individuals to stand up for Christians, to clothe them when they're naked, to feed them when they're hungry. The judgment of the nations talks about how people treated the brothers and sisters of Jesus. That's what it means when it says, what you did for the least of these brothers and sisters. It's not Jesus' literal brothers and sisters, but as it says in Mark 3.35, my brothers and sisters are, quote, those who do the will of he who sent me. So it's not everybody, and it's not his literal brothers and sisters, it's his brothers and sisters in Christ. And interestingly, lots of NGOs... World Vision and lots of others use this verse to say we should look after everyone. They put up a photo of a starving child, and then they say, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. And that kid might be a Christian, but that's not what this text is actually talking about. There's a bit in Galatians 6.10, which is written by Paul rather than Jesus, but it's kind of the, the gist of it, um, of what Jesus is saying here. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those in the family of faith. So caring for the brothers and sisters is primarily what Jesus is talking about here. But don't you dare use that as an excuse to ignore caring for the poor who are non-Christians. Jesus was totally all about that. He said, so loving the people rejected by others, um, whether it was Zacchaeus the tax collector or the woman at the well, he hung out with... I mean, that's a tax collector, possibly a prostitute. Um, he hung out with people that, you, people that you wouldn't be seen with, normally. Um, it's also reflected in other passages and in Paul's letters, where so in James he says, "Pure religion, pure, sorry, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you." Uh, In Isaiah, so this is Old Testament when we think of a more, I don't know, wrathful time. Um, Isaiah one seventeen: learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So this is Jesus and broader in the the rest of the Bible saying, look after the oppressed, look after the poor. But that's not what Jesus is talking about in this bit. He's talking about... uh, people will be judged based on how they treat Christians, whether they, whether they inherit the kingdom or not. Um, so verse 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you did not look after me. They'll also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick in prison, and not help you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Did you catch that in there? They're also surprised. They're like, Jesus, we totally looked after you. Remember that time you were hungry and we bought you chips from Captain Morgan? And that time you are at the beach and I gave you my jacket? You are awesome, Jesus. We love hanging out with you. In fact, we're totally focused on you. We think it's all about you, to which Jesus says, yeah, you're too focused on me. You're not focused on what I'm focused on. You get that? Now off to the bad place with you. Which to me is like, wow, that's... That's harsh. These people, when I was writing this, I sort of forgot about the goats for a while. And I was like, okay, the goats are the bad people that don't know Jesus. And then, far too recently, (laughs) I was like, hang on. The goats totally knew Jesus. They were like, we helped you, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, no, but you don't get what I'm about. Okay? So... Off to the bad place. There's lots of ideas about what happens to us when we die. And Anne McCormick was here a few weeks ago. And shared his experience. And since then, in the Rutherford House, we've been getting into the world of near-death experiences. Yeah. On, On the YouTubes. And there's some really interesting and disturbing themes that come out of it. People that come back from the dead having met Jesus, or experienced heaven, totally rate it. Like They're like, it's the most amazing thing. And it's often completely life-changing as it was with Ian. And there's some super fun stories out there, including one guy who had a hilarious water fight with Jesus, which is just like fantastic. People that experience hell, on the other hand, really don't rate it. They don't have a good time, and it sounds as awful as they can sort of describe. This dreaded, empty, dark, timeless void. Okay, So, I'm going to leave it there as far as my description of heaven and hell goes, other than, like, good versus bad, because we don't have time to to dive deep into annihilationism and eternal conscious torment. Um, But I did find it quite shocking when when Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these, you did not do for me, then they'll go to eternal punishment. My first thought was, like, that seems super harsh, because if you've missed, like... If you didn't get on the baby roster for feeding a family after a baby's born, or like you missed an opportunity because you're too busy, then see you later. That's one way you could read it. You've lost your salvation because you didn't do the right thing, okay? And I reread it a few, few times. Those folks who are goats go away to eternal punishment because of what they didn't do, but there's way more to it than that. It doesn't say, You have to listen carefully here. (laughs) It doesn't say, what you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me, and because of that, you go to eternal punishment. It says, you didn't do the good thing, then you go to eternal punishment. It's their whole attitude. It's not just that they didn't do this one thing. It's fundamentally who they are. They didn't just miss a righteous action. They totally missed the point of what Jesus was on about. They thought they were serving Jesus by just serving Jesus. But to serve him, they needed to take on his message and live it out day to day, doing acts of justice and mercy and compassion to those around them, rather than just focusing on the person of Jesus. So what about those sheep that did serve the least of these? Jesus says by doing that, they are actually serving him, which is amazing. We help someone out, and it's though we serve Jesus directly. So we live a life serving Christ by serving the family of Christ, but not for merit, but because of what he's done for us. And that's super important. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It was the actions of the sheep that got them to inherit the kingdom. But it's not just about doing good stuff that gets us to heaven, right? Because what about being saved by grace? Like We don't earn our way to heaven. Now, there's a passage from Titus 3 that summarizes what I want to say really well. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These are excellent and profitable for everyone. You're tracking with me on that. We were bad. God loved us. He poured out his grace on us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And as a response to that, what do we do? We devote ourselves to doing what is good. So this is this, this age-old tension between grace and works about what, what saves us. But we need to fully understand and accept the grace of God but also live guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, there's another bit from James 2 that I want to read. Uh, James two fourteen to 17. What is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not works? Can that save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So it's totally grace. It's totally saved by grace. And it's totally that we do works out of that, right? We're saved by grace, but if we're not doing stuff because of that, then are we saved? Because we're not. if we're saved, then we're doing the stuff that you do because you're saved, because you appreciate being saved, and you devote yourself to what is good. So going back to the context for this passage, it's after the tribulation, after the oppression of Christians. So the aim here isn't to live a righteous life and earn your way to heaven, but to have a deep faith, a faith where Christ is in charge of your identity, your worldview, your entire self. You've even surrendered all that stuff that goes around in your head. And the way it comes out is all in service to to Jesus. Now, I'm miles from that, and I imagine we all are, but the aim is more God and less us. This is, my head is a very busy place, so this is quite aspirational. (laughs) But more God, less me. What the sheep and the goats, what the sheep have that the goats don't is a deep faith. The goats were serving Jesus the man, but the sheep were being Jesus with skin on, shining the light and love of Jesus to other Christians and non-Christians too, I'm sure. We're talking about a faith where you act to help out, without being told or without calculating how many heaven points it's going to get you. When someone says to you, oh, that was really generous what you did, or that was a kind thing, your thought is, well, wouldn't everyone do that? It was just a thing. Like, I'm no hero. It was the loving thing to do. I just wanted to bring some joy to their day. I I needed to bring peace to that situation. I did it because it was the right thing to do. It was the just thing to do. It was the honest thing to do. It was the caring thing to do. These are some of the fruits of the Spirit and a few other biblical principles. Did you catch that? The fruits of the Spirit. So we don't get there by working ourselves. We're not on the solo mission to have this perfect deep faith. We get there with the help from each other and the Holy Spirit. A lot of help, let's be honest. So I encourage you to get out there and do the things. Be those people that do things for others. Help your brothers and sisters, support each other, love each other, pray with each other, feed each other. But more than that, build within yourself, with the help of the Holy Spirit, a deep faith in Jesus so that these acts of love, blessing and service just come out of who you are and how you live out your salvation. Thank you.